This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. For the 2023-2024 season, the West Amway podcast is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sports venues are showing every televised West Ham fixture over the course of the season. So instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and go down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. Green King Sport have just recently launched the Green King Sport Instagram page, which will be the home to fan content, deals and competitions throughout the season. Drop them a follow and you won't just be the first to know about all this, you'll be helping out the West Ham way. You're listening to the West Ham Way podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi! Hello and welcome to the West Ham Way podcast with myself, Dave Walker, an XWHU employee. This week we reflect on our first defeat of the season. Could we have done better against the best team in the world? We talk about Pakitar embracing Guardiola, an outstanding performance from Ariola, another contribution from James Ward-Prowse, Paolo Di Canio coming back to East London, and our last ever event at O'Neill's before getting new from X and answering questions from patrons of the West Ham Way. X home or away, Man City is always a difficult game and Saturday was no exception at the London Stadium. As always, give us your thoughts on the performance and the result. Um, obviously, the result was disappointing in the end, having been 1-0 up at half-time, but it's not one that we probably would have expected to get anything on from realistically. Um, also, I think we played quite well. Um, you know, it wasn't the greatest performance, but you've got to remember the quality of the opposition. So it was a good performance. We had chances. Um, I thought we were doing really well um, until Alvarez went off. I think that was a bit of a game changer. That obviously it was one all when he when he went off, and I think we had chances to like with Zuma's header to actually go in the lead. I think we we would have 
at least got a point if Alvarez had stayed on. Um, unfortunately, a, a mistake at the back for the second, and then the third goal. We kind of ran out of steam by then. So I don't think it was a disastrous performance. I mean, it was actually a good performance in the grand scheme of things. Um, you were obviously disappointed to come away with nothing, and you know, ultimately, you do what you have to come away with something for it to be a, a really good result. But um, in terms of the performance, I thought it was decent, and you just move on to the next one. We got Man City out of the way now. They're the best team in the world. That's why they have won the Premier League and won the Champions League and um, you know they are the best team in the world so to give them a good match um, isn't the end isn't the end of the world for us so yeah I think good, um, good performance overall yeah I agree with that summary and do you know what mate I mean we all want to win we all want to have that winner's mentality and we can all make excuses for losing but sometimes you just have to give credit where credit's due and I think we got beaten by the best team on the planet, like you say. Totally agree with that. They dominated possession, had chance after chance. 29 shots, I think they had. Uh, mm. The scoreline could have been a lot worse, a lot worse. But not necessarily because we were that bad, but because they mm. were that good. Do yeah. you know what I mean? I, I just, I look at them. And so they should be with the amount of money they've spent. But they are just a terrific side, aren't they? Super. Yeah, I mean, exciting uh, to watch. And, and you're right as well. We had our chances. We did have our chances. And uh, did we give them a game as such? I think to a degree, obviously, it's going at half time, one nil up. You can say that. But I think it was inevitable that we were going to lose the game. The more the time went on, they weren't going to keep missing their chances. And in the end, I think it was a fair result, really. Yeah, and I think you've got to look at the amount of saves Ariola made as well. You know, he was by oh. easily the man of the match, and I think that shows that obviously we're backs against the wall. But it's always going to be like that against Manchester City, and I thought there that Doku Doku was brilliant against us as well. He obviously only they've only just signed him in the summer, but he terrorised Shafal for that first goal, um, and he was he played brilliantly, and you know they've added him to the mix now, and you know Harlan missed a couple that he would have usually scored on another day, so. Yeah, like, you know, they were the better team. It probably was a fair result for them to win overall, but we gave them a decent match. We've been battered and played off the park. I mentioned the City before, but that wasn't the case this week. Um, I think we can go into the Liverpool game, and if we can play slightly better than we did against Man City, we can be confident of maybe getting something there, because I don't think Liverpool are in the same league as Manchester City, so we should go into that game with decent hopes. And, you know, I saw some people moaning about more the usual negativity I think when you play Manchester City of course you hope for the upset but on the on the grand scheme of things there's not going to be many teams that do beat Manchester City you almost write that game off and it's still been a great start to the season we're still right up there and um, you know once we get Liverpool out of the way there's fixtures coming after that that I think are winnable and we could be in a really good position come November time yeah, I agree with that. Again, I, I think if you lose to Man City, but you've had a go, you just have to wipe your mouth and move on, don't you really? I mean, we got mm-hmm. off to a flyer, didn't we? And two things really pleased me about that goal. One, James Ward-Prowse scored it. He continues to impress at West Ham. What a signing he's proving to be. And two, the goal was created by Shufau, who was often had a bit of stick for his crossing ability, but that was a really good assist, wasn't it? It was. It was a really good cross. I mean, later on in the game, he did two really bad crosses, so that kind of mm. frustrated me. But yeah, in that particular incident, it was... Though 
those sorts of crosses where he kind of curls them in a bit, he's all right at. It's the when he gets down the wing, and I think sometimes you, when you're especially when you're on the counter attack, the whole point is speed. So the cross needs to be whipped in along the ground, even if it just ricochets off a defender or something. It can cause havoc. But that's where he uh, lets himself down. The floating crosses are not too bad. It's the whipped ones that he doesn't seem to be able to do as well. And I think whipped crosses are more effective now in the Premier League, particularly when you only play with one forward and that forward isn't, you know, a six foot three, six foot four target man, then I think whips crosses are much better and, and unfortunately that is a big part of his game that I feel could be improved. But yes, on that goal for James Ward Prowse, it was it was a great assist and as I said when we signed him and I just couldn't believe other fans didn't see this. He he is a great signing for us, unbelievable signing, you know, he's contributed a goal or an assist or more in every game he's played this season and um, I think you know if he carries on like this averaging either one goal or one assist a game every every game sorry then you're going to be you're going to be loving that you know that contribution is huge and he should be in the England squad part of me is glad he isn't because it's just an extra risk to get injured or be tired but in terms of him deserving it he should do and you know he's uh, he hasn't even scored a free kick yet so mm, um, mm. you know we got that to come so <clears throat> great signing and I was really pleased that he got another goal yeah and it was nice to see Prousey incorporate the crossed hammers in his golf swing celebration yeah, as well yeah. I like that um, well you touched upon him earlier on and one person I was really impressed with on Saturday was Ariola. I thought Alfie was different class for two reasons really one is that he made a series of phenomenal saves and two I don't believe he could have done any better on the goals he conceded mm-hmm. do, you, do you agree with that I mean can we put that level of praise in the goalkeeper that's conceded three times in 90 minutes well, yeah I think so and like you say the second goal possibly there was something not right with that second goal but blame was probably more to, towards Aguered for that but then yeah. you but then you look at the communication I think Keeper's probably a bit too slow off his line has he communicated with Aguered with where that ball was going you know there's debatable there's been a couple of times this season where Aguered and Ariola's communication would have both turned around and had a go at each other um, so there's something got to be sorted out between those two because Moyes alluded to it as well the second goal was a bit soft but yeah on the whole you, you can't criticise Ariola at all because you know you think right at the start of the game there was that incident where there about four attempts wasn't there Suchik yeah. got one off the line and then he saved about three and um, yeah like, so he did brilliantly then he made another two or three brilliant saves after that as well so yeah for me he got the patron um, overall vote for man of the match quite um, comprehensively I think and yeah. uh, and I would I would agree with that so yeah I thought he had a really good game and I think he is rightfully the number one now we, we, age is obviously a big factor but we, with Fabianski being you know 37, 38 um, but he is the right time for him now 29, 30 you know, there's no point in moving to West Ham if it's just going to be a backup keeper. So I think we need to keep our faith in Ariola now. He's, he's deserved it from the performance, you know, yesterday. He played well against Brighton as well. Um, so I think, yeah, well done to him. And hopefully he can keep building on this. The more games he plays, I mean, the, the more consistent he'll be even beyond that. Yeah. Well, if you look at their goals, I mean, the first one, very hard to defend against. That docker is some play, you know. Yeah, yeah. Speed, good close mm. control, a defender's nightmare, really. I just mm. thought it was a brilliant goal. You can argue that she fell, you know, shouldn't have shown him inside, but it's easier said than done. When you're on that pitch facing a player of that pace and that skill, 
um, with the clinical finish. I think, again, you just got to give credit where credit's due. I think the slight disagreement I've got with you on the second goal is that I do think Aguero was to blame. And I think the fact that... Oh, yeah, he's largely to blame. I'm just saying that there's a communication thing there as well. I don't, see, I don't agree with that. I, I, from Ariola's perspective, what is there to communicate if you think your centre-half's going to clear it? You think he's got it? You think he's going to edit out the box? There's not really a lot you can say to him. I just think he's massively mistimed his header, which has allowed Silver through on goal. So for me, that's a mistake on his part. Mm. Um, and as for the third, I, I, again, you could say we shouldn't have allowed Haaland to peel off like he did, but it is what it is really, isn't it? I, I don't think you can put too much criticism on the three goals we conceded when you're playing against that much quality. Frustrating thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. As I said, Greg is more to blame for that second goal, but um, <coughs> yeah, I think Man City are, are a different league. I mean, Haaland is unbelievable. I know he missed a couple of easier chances in that game, but he's got everything for a forward strength, yeah. pace, ability in the air. He's agile, like the amount of sort of flying volleys he gets and overhead kicks and stuff. He reads the game so well. You know, he's, you know, you think he's only young still as well. You know, what's he going to be like when he's 27, 28? I mean, this would be unbelievable. Um, so yeah, and then like you said, that docu looked brilliant. And then they've got um, you know all the other um, quality that they've got around them as well. Um, they they are a great team. I find them fucking boring to watch at times. I'm going to be honest with you. I know they had all those chances, but just the passing back. I know some people say it's good football because they maintain possession and stuff. But when you're just passing, defender, 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 back, defender, keeper, defender, keeper, midfielder, and it obviously works because they win everything. But I never particularly look forward to watching Manchester City. Like when they're on TV or when they come to the London Stadium, I don't go, oh, it should be a good game. I never feel like it's going to be a good game. I think they'll score good goals and they'll dominate possession, but it's not going to be that exciting. Not like, you know, the old Arsenal Invincible team or the Manchester United team of the 90s. Never feel like that with them, but you can't argue with their, with it because they're so successful with it. So, yeah, I just think you, you write this game off. You, when you look at the fixture calendar, you don't look at Manchester City home or away and think, right, we need to get any points from this. They're kind of two that you sort of put to the side that you're probably not going to, and then you need to make sure you pick them up at the games where you're meant to pick them up at. Mm. Well, the day wasn't without controversy because before the game, Pacquiao was seen embracing Guardiola, who was close to signing Lucas in the summer. A lot of fans noticed that. A lot of fans were pissed off with that. What are your thoughts? Um, it's probably not ideal you know again in an ideal situation you don't want a player to be acknowledging the opposition manager in any form really unless they're sort of back in the tunnels where no one can see it because you want to be fully focused on the game there's like that classic clip isn't there where Gary Neville and Peter Schmeichel are lining up as captains for I mean Schmeichel's at Man City at the time and Schmeichel goes to shake his hand and Neville won't even look at him and just mm. looks straight forward you know mm. They were teammates and mates for years and years and years. Um, you kind of want that winning mentality where you, where the, whoever it is on the opposition, whilst they're your opponents for the next ninety minutes, they're your enemy, and that's ideally the scenario you want. To it to have if Guardiola's got up to Pacatar and tried to give him a hug and shake his hand I think it's, it's difficult for Pacatar to go no fuck off mate and walk away as well you have to consider that too obviously he was linked massively with Manchester City so it's like not great the, the, the club he's done it to but 
I'm not that bothered by it. You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't mean he didn't play well. I thought behind Ariola, he was the second best player, I'd have said. And um, he still wants to play for West Ham. He's not going to Manchester City, at least not now. So um, it's not great, but it's not as disastrous as some are saying. I mean, is it the end of the world? No. But I did think it was unprofessional. I thought it was quite desperate on his part, if I'm honest. And I also did think it was disrespectful. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It's like being called up for your first dance at your wedding and then going to the DJ. It's all right, mate. I'm going to have a dance with my wife's best mate first. Do you know what I mean? You <laughs> just wouldn't do it. You just wouldn't quite, do it. Quite that extreme. <laughs> but it's an example of something not making sense. It, it, yeah. For me, it didn't make sense. We're about to go to war with the opposition, like you say, and our best player is embracing the opposition's manager a manager he obviously wants to play for how is that the best preparation for him going into that war and what is it x and look i am going to say it what is it with these fucking players that find it so hard to just be respectful to the club that pays their wages to the fans that adore them why do they find it so hard to just keep their head down do the right thing say the right thing more importantly not say the wrong thing and if they want to leave conduct their business discreetly behind closed doors and should they get their move say the right thing to the fan base when the move is done we've had it with Rice Anoltovich Wilshire, Sacco Paye and now Paquetta I mean, why do they find it so hard when it's when, it, when really, let's be honest, it's so easy. But if he'd done that to another manager, let's just say he'd done it to whoever Luton Town's manager Edwards at Luton Town, would there be such a big deal about it? It could be just no, uh, no. It, there no. wouldn't have been. There no. wouldn't have been. But that's the problem. It's the context, isn't it? Yeah. This manager um, who has tried to sign him. So the disrespect is coming from him embracing the manager, almost showing desperation that he wants to be a part of Man City, and 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 the fact that he probably has cuddled him because he knows him after having discussions with him. And I just think to do that in the London Stadium before a game in front of your own fans, I think takes the piss a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's not great. It's not It's not an ideal thing to have done. And, you know, you do question why he has done that. And, and it is obviously for his own self-gain. It doesn't benefit West Ham in any way for him to be friendly to the opposition manager. It's for his own career advancements should, you know, Guardiola try to sign him at another point. So, yeah, it's all obviously self-centred. So it's not, it's not good in that respect. But I don't think it affected his performance like I said because I think he was the second best player on the pitch um, for us behind Areola maybe Alvarez gave him a run for his money but he was certainly one of the better players and um, I don't think it's going to affect his performance going forward for the rest of the season you, yes you wish he hadn't have done it but I'm not quite having a meltdown over it like some people are well subject to this betting scandal being put to bed could he potentially go in January <sighs> Um, I guess so, although they've signed Nunes now, haven't they? So I think they're probably done, I would suggest. And maybe I don't know what their financial fair play situation is, but I don't think he'll go in January to Manchester City. I haven't asked anyone about it recently, but my sort of gut feeling would be that he wouldn't go in January, no. Mm. Well, it was good to see Paolo Di Canio at the stadium on Saturday, yeah. looking a million dollars as always. Mm. What would he be worth in today's market, HP? Oh, God knows. I like shit loads. I still find it amazing. He never played for Italy. Like, he's not That's actually incredible, captain. wasn't it? Yeah, when you think how good he was, like, how good must Italy have been for forwards at that time if he can't get in? But I guess mm. the same with Billy Bonds as well. You know, you look at how good he was, and he never did either. And Devonshire and Parks only got one or two caps. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's. It's, it's, I 
it's um it's uh, it's great to see him. He's just like for me, you know. Obviously, I said to my dad at the ground, like my dad's player that he used to always go on about. He loved when he was great was Trevor Brookin. You know, that was the one for him with all the skill and the entertainment value. And you know, a local lad by both him and my dad are from Ilford, so there's that connection as well. Um, whereas for me, obviously, Decanio was the one that I used to just get so excited about going to games to watch. And I think he was the first player. Obviously, we had players before him like Hart some that did really well for us and you know, Kitson and obviously Rio Ferdinand was breaking through and stuff but I think he was the first player that was really like other teams looked at and thought fucking hell he's a good player you know obviously we had them in Julian Dix people liked him but he was like a cult hero I don't think where other fans knew how good Julian Dix was as a player I mean I think he was only really maybe appreciated by West Ham fans you know West Ham other fans would have liked maybe Bishop maybe Cotty for his goals at times, but I don't think other fans ever looked at any of our players and thought, wow, well, I'd give to see him every week. Whereas we had that with Decanio, and Decanio was just such an entertainer. And like, I would sometimes think I was going to watch West Ham and I was going to watch Decanio because it was almost like two different soap operas going on at the same time. And mm. yeah, he, I just love to meet the fellow. I'm like, you know, of all the stuff we've done with West Ham, and I know you've met him, I've just I've never met him. So one day I would like to, and um, I spoke to a few people that were at the um, event that was done with him on Friday, and, and thankfully, from, and on Thursday as well, thankfully from what I've heard, I've got an interesting bit of news on that in my section, but um, what I heard from them was that whilst his agent was a bit of a pain, um, which is what we seem to have discovered, he, um, him himself, the caddy, was brilliant and a, a top fella, so it's good to know that um, he's, a, he's a humble, nice guy as well. Yeah, and loves West Ham. Genuinely loves West Ham as well. Yeah. It just loses out of him. And I'm, I'm with you. I mean, you know, in those season ticket days when he was there, yeah, just it got your blood pumping when Upton Park used to sound out. And I don't know the actual official title of the uh, Italian classical music, music, but the Paolo Di Canio song, yeah, and it got everyone singing. And it, it was he was a soap opera in himself. And even at that age when I used to watch him on the school playground, I don't know, I didn't get bullied for this to be honest with you, but I used to wear. <laughs> Shorts back to front as he often did. <laughs> I had a girl's hairband around my wrist when I played, as he often did. And uh, he, he was just a hero at West Ham. I absolutely yeah. adored the man. And you're right. How he didn't play a single minute for Italy is is absolutely flabbergasting. Is that? Yeah. Do you remember a time when he was actually rumoured yeah. to have qualified to play for England because of his yeah. he could have, he had played for Italy? Yeah. yeah, I mean, how did he not get a game for England in which case? Oh, no, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? I think maybe he's he's um when he pushed the referee and maybe they held things like that against him because yeah. they didn't pick Julian Dix because he had a skinhead once. So mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he pushed the referee over and obviously. Obviously, there was the odd questionable link to his political beliefs in Italy and stuff. So maybe, maybe those things um, uh, were what counts against him. But yeah, in terms of ability, he was the best player I think I've ever seen. I mean, people talk about Pae, and obviously Pae was definitely up there. And people mm. talk about Tevez as well. I want to think of like the sort of more modern day equivalent. But there was just something about Paolo that was just for me puts him head and shoulders above. I mean, it was probably the passion, the passion for the badge, mm. the the flamboyancy, his emotionalness that he brought, you know, that he not only did he score so many goals, but he created so many chances for other players. And I think because 
other players didn't take those chances. You tend to forget how good some of those assists would have been as well if the players had scored them. So, you know, he was just, yeah, brilliant. I mean, ideally, if you want to put a couple of criticisms his way, which we try to be balanced on his show, I'm not sure at times, particularly under the road uh, um, the rain, whether he was 100% um, what's the word, productive to a good environment at the club at times. Mm. Um, but in, so when he was at his peak and everything was going well and he was playing at the top of his game, then there was no one better. No. Often didn't relish away days as well. But, yeah, um, that, that but... used to annoy me. Like when you'd, <laughs> when you'd be on the, when you'd be getting to Grexis with the days before I knew what the team was beforehand, and you'd get to the t- the ground, and the referee, uh, the referee that's the crowd announcer would read out the um, team, and you'd be like, "Where's the candy?" Oh, and, yeah. and then you'd like you'd get out, and then Red Nap or whoever the manager was would say, "Oh yeah, he, he had a little cold this morning," and you'd think. Fuck's sake, you know. Yeah, like, so yeah. yeah, there was that, but the games he played and the games he was up for. I mean, there were so many. Like that, you were literally he shows. Like, you know that game against Arsenal where he scored those two goals. We won two one, and you know we see the one at Man United and the goal against Wimbledon and so many other games. That Bradford game where he sat on the pitch yeah, and unreal. demanded to be subbed off and stuff. You know, so many stories about him and yeah, an interesting little side story to tell in my section about him. Yeah, brilliant. Do you remember that TV ad he done for Radox? Yes, I do, yeah. That was brilliant, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy, wasn't it? It's obviously <laughs> didn't work too well because he's got no hair now, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, I know it was bubble bath, wasn't it? Yeah. I, was yeah. It was, I think it was shampoo, but either yeah. way, it's not done too good to his hairline. Um, but yeah, yeah you, uh, I do remember it. And uh, yeah. yeah, what a man. I think I think it was the whole... He didn't do any arm with the women, I would imagine. No, that had... No, uh, yeah, no, go on, carry on. Exactly. I think the whole... That was what was so sort of magical about him as well, as the whole, like, he couldn't have been any more sort of stereotypically Italian, could he? No. And, uh, and he was just, like, so, like, a character, like a like a sort of, like, like if ever there was, like, a, a film to be made about West Ham, he would have to have one of the lead roles in it because he was just mm. such a character, such a, a personality and stuff. And, you know, back in the day when um, when he was at his peak for us, like, it, he genuinely thought you had a chance in any game we played because whilst we might not have the best keeper or defence or whatever with him in the team you always knew there was a chance that um, you could at least get a goal or so and there it is that's as good as it gets on this stage Nissan Townstar EV strikes again it's an unstoppable van unstoppable Look, just fantastic you can actually see the pro pilot technology in action effortless parallel parking it moves with all the confidence that comes with a five year warranty and with a bench full of all star van experts there's real strength in depth here that's all star quality search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all star van centre to see for yourself Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Oh, yeah. Great days, mate. Great days. Well, Paolo wasn't the only ex-player on display in East London on Saturday because Dean Ashton was our special guest for the last ever event at O'Neill's in Leytonstone. And what an event it was, ex. 
Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant, mate. Really, really good. Um, Dino was a, a great character. A sad story with him, and I think that's what's interesting with some of these guests. You know, you've all heard about, you know, his goals for the club and how good he was on the pitch, but sometimes it's the it's the stuff that happens off the pitch that, that fans don't get that insight into. Like, you don't know how hard it was for him when... You know, when that injury occurs, you don't know the full sort of what happened. You don't know the recovery, how it affected him mentally, how it affected his family. And, and one thing that's really, really good about Martin Allen as host is that he spends um, time before the the events, like the night before, speaking to these players, getting to know them and checking out how comfortable they are talking about some of these things. So when they come to the event, they know the questions are coming, so they're prepared their answers. And I think it was really, really interesting with Dean just to hear, obviously, like I say, how good he was, but the side effects of some of that, like some of that trauma he went through with with the injury and so on. Mm. I know it had a bit of everything, didn't it? And that's I yeah, think that's yeah. what Mad Dog brings. One hundred percent, he gets the right balance between um, humour and opening someone up, making them feel comfortable, and getting that honesty from them. And that's that's why I think these events are, are, are special. That coupled with the atmosphere that the fans generate, I, I, mm. I love them. And we've had some fantastic times at O'Neill's. And whilst I thanked them on Saturday on stage, I, yeah, I think we should do that publicly as well. I think they've been an absolute pleasure to work with. Professional, flexible around us in terms of of what we needed to make the event work. And uh, we've never had a bad event now. We've just had oh. so many great times. So we'd like to thank them. But it is a new chapter for us, as we've already told you. It's an exciting move to the Colour Factory in Hackney Wick. And our first event will be before the Sheffield United game. And we are delighted to announce that Ian Bishop will be joining Mad Dog on stage for the live interactive Q&A. One to look forward to, X. Oh, yeah, and, and, and Ian Bishop is exactly the same as yeah. the two guests we've had before in Martin Allen, Dean Ashton and Trevor Morley, because like, like Trevor Morley, it's the same incident. There's a lot with Ian Bishop that is extra to just being a very good player for West Ham, and there's stuff that has happened more recently to him as well that's not probably as publicly known, but Martin's already spoke to him, and he's prepared to talk about those sorts of things as well. So I think it's going to be a really, really interesting story, and and. And even if you just take all that sort of extra baggage away, look at what he did for West Ham, signed for West Ham in, what, 1990 under Lou Macari um, with Trevor Morley for um, exchange for Mark Ward and then went on to play, what, nine years all through the 90s at West Ham and at, again at his peak. So, you know, maybe like early to mid-90s. What a player, brilliant passer, um, really good vision, scored the odd good goal um, and, yeah, like that midfield at the time, now with him, Monker, Martin Allen, Don Hutchinson knocking around, there were some very talented players in there. And uh, yeah, when I was a kid growing up, Ian Bishop was definitely one of my favourite players um, to be in the playground. So yeah, looking forward to, to seeing him again. Mm, well, I named my dog after him, Bish. Oh, of course, Bishop. yeah. Um, you know, what a fantastic dog. Shit at football in comparison to Ian, but um, you know, lovely <laughs> just- dog. Just as hairy. Yeah, just as hairy. <laughs> just as hairy. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, Bish is a fantastic fella. Like, he's a lovely it's man. He's got a brilliant well. sense of humour. The yeah. only thing I'm a little bit worried about, and I'll be open with everyone, is whether there's going to be enough beer left for everyone else with Bish. Yeah. That's my <laughs> yeah. only concern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, this, this, um, it's interesting how he was set up as well for this new event, because what we should stress is that, obviously, our previous event, 
a lot of the focus was obviously the player and the guests and so on, but was around the all-inclusive drink. Now, for those of you that benefited from that, that is still an option. You know, that hasn't gone. But for those uh, sort of more in my camp than in Dave's camp, I don't, I don't <laughs> drink as much. The entrance, uh, the entrance fee has been adjusted to have a ticket now, which is just entrance, and you pay for your own drinks, which is obviously um, cheaper than the one that includes your inclusive option. So for those of you that might have been a bit put off by the fact that you thought, well, 25 quid for patrons, 30 quid non-patrons, um, I'm not going to drink that much, so I'm not going to get ready for money like others. Well, now that's been solved as well. So hopefully mm. we'll see a whole new host of people coming, plus those people that have been so loyal and supportive to us over the, um, was it six years now, seven years that we've been doing these? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, at the end of the event, it's less than a 10-minute walk to the stadium. So it's just selling point yeah. after selling point, and, and we can't wait for this exciting new chapter. I just want to finish off on the, the Man City game, X. What did you make of Kudus when he came on? Uh, good question. I, by then, it, I think the Man City were starting to really flex their dominance at that point. I don't think it was the greatest game from him, but then I'm not judging him on that at all because, firstly, you know, it's against, as we've already stated, the top team in the world. He came on when they were at the particularly peak during that game. Um, I think without having Antonio up front as well, limited his options. Without having Alvarez in defensive midfield meant that Man City had far more of the ball. So, he he looks like he's got pace, which we already knew. He did a couple of good things. I think he's obviously skillful. You can see all the things that you know he's got. But I think stronger performances are yet to come. Without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, it, it's a horrible game to come into, first and mm. foremost. Um, and yeah, it wasn't spellbinding. But there was definitely moments there I thought he's, he's got something about him. He's yeah, got something about him, without definitely. a shadow of a doubt. And Boeing went up front at one point as well. Is that something we can see more often, do you think? Yes, I think that's the plan. And I think that's why we didn't sign a forward in the, in the window, because as I alluded to in quite a few updates and podcasts and stuff, um, Moyes, not only does he have Ings and Mabama as technically forwards as backup he's also got Bowen who he sees I think long term as perhaps the successor for Antonio and also there was also talk of Cornet going as a as a forward because he's played up front for Burnley um, in the past and in, and he's in his early career and um, you know let's be honest he's not getting in on left wing he's not getting in on left wing back so there's an option there for him potentially as well so I think I think yes Moyes is definitely Definitely gonna use Bowen more frequently as a as the replacement for Antonio. And it almost seems like it's like an agreed strategy that Antonio comes off at around 60 minutes because it's happening pretty much every game prior to that. And I remember talking to a coach at West Ham and they said that that is how they're starting to manage his injuries and his um, you know, the fact that he's so explosive to start with and then kind of burns out a little bit. So they are almost having it as a strategy that he's going to go off at around the 60 to 70 minute mark, um, depending on how the game's going. So yeah, I think Bowen is the, is going to be the more natural one to sort of replace him because Ings is a different type of player, but Barmer, I haven't seen enough of him to know exactly what type of player he is, but probably not quite as Antonio like in his in his play. And um, Bowen, um, 
would probably be the most similar in terms of pace and explosiveness and making runs at the defender. So, yeah, I would agree that that's probably the long-term strategy. Yeah, and we know he can do a job up front as well, which is why, you know, I don't think there was as much panic from my part that we didn't sign a striker. Like we said, it would have been nice, but we have actually got so many options. When you consider we only play one up front, I mean, we've got, what, five striking options? You've got Antonio, Bowen, Cornet, Rubama, and Ings, unless I've missed anyone. You know, yeah. that's that's plentiful, really, when you play with one up front. Um, we've got two games this week, starting with our Europa League campaign at home against Baca Tapola. And whether I pronounce that right, <laughs> we'll find out on Thursday. What sort of a team do you expect us to put out against them? I think it will be quite heavily rotated and that's what I agree with. I've looked into them a little bit because I thought you might ask this question and they are top of the Serbian league. So they are obviously, you know, how strong Serbian league is. I, I don't know for certain, but they've started the season well. So they're obviously a decent team. Um, but that said, I think we have a squad for a reason. 25 players. We've got Liverpool on Sunday. Um, so for me, this is the weaker out of I don't want to underestimate them because they're clearly a decent team, but out of the three teams in our group, they are the weaker one. So I think I would rotate quite heavily. Now, obviously, you know Fabianski is going to come in. That's a given. It's like we do this, league keeper, cup keeper. So Fabianski will come in. I would bring in Kera to go right back. I would play Mavropanos and Ogbonna at centre-back and Cresswell at left-back. So that's a complete change in the defence there. Um, in midfield, I would bring in Fornells. I would bring in Ben Rama to start. I would bring in... Um, Kudos, I'd bring in Corne, um, and I would probably play Ings and Mabama maybe up front or play one of them and bring Connor Coventry in as a defensive midfielder. But I would certainly pretty much rotate the whole 11, I think. Yeah, I know, I make you right. Because shortly after that, it's another tough game in the Premier League. Uh, this time it's Liverpool at Anfield. I make you right that they're not the kind of powerhouse they maybe might have been two or three, four years ago. But it is still a tough game. How do you feel about it? I think we can get something from it. If we if we set up how we did against Brighton away, um, and how you know we played against Chelsea, and even for parts against Manchester City, I think we can get something. I think we could get a draw from that game if we set up how we did. We can't do what we did last season, though, which is dominate the game and then just show them way too much respect towards the end and start like start going for the draw. You know, we need to just go for go out to win this game, like how we did. Against against Brighton and Chelsea and see what happens. You know, if we lose, we lose. It is Liverpool after all and, uh, you know, they've won at the weekend and they've had a decent start to the season. But I still think they're, like I said earlier, they're not the force they were a couple of years ago. So I think if we can go out and put our very best performance in, I think we can come away with a point from there. Yeah. Well, hopefully more. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those games again, and I've said this before, you know, with our style of play, I, I can fully accept that style of play against a top six side, for example. And, and Liverpool is exactly that because it suits it. It invites pressure that you're going to be getting anyway because they're more possession-based than we are. And if we can just hit them on the counter-attack and be clinical in front of goal, then we could get something. You're right. 
But again, you always take that risk when you invite that amount of pressure. And then it comes down to how clinical are they? So it's one of them, and it's typical of West Ham. You never really know what to expect. You do in terms of the style of play, how you're going to deliver against that style of play kind of remains to be seen, doesn't it? But we we mm. have been solid so far. I think it is maybe a relatively decent time to play them. And, uh, you know, we could cause an upset, and let's hope we do. Well, also, you've got to bear in mind as well, is that Liverpool will also be playing in the Conference League on Thursday, which is which is good because on times we've, we've played teams on the Sunday that have had a week off. You know, Liverpool will yep. be playing in the in the same tournament as us. Um, so, uh, you know, that's a good fact. And I also think, as I said, with the other, the European game, if we, we if we play that team now, um, there we should look to beat them, even with our reserve team. They should be stronger than them. But if they come up and they fall apart have players on the subs you can make uh, on the bench you can make enough subs to change it and also the, if that if we muck up at the start there's still enough games to qualify from that group um so my prediction what for both games yeah go on give us both games um i think we'll win the european game i think we'll win two maybe three nil in the european game and i think we'll draw mm. So let's go nil nil one all. Uh, we'll draw one all against Liverpool. Yeah, do you know what, mate? <laughs> Honestly, I, it's, I, I always want to try and disagree with you sometimes with some of the things we talk about and score predictions. Uh, and I'll back that up in a minute with what I'm oh, about That's unbelievable, isn't it? I'm glad oh, you mate, mentioned that. Mate, <laughs> I mean, the, the actual predictions league... Um, and there's, there's hundreds of players playing this, by the way. Me and X are locked on exactly the same point. It's just I ridiculous. Five sixty or something like that. Yeah, yeah something like that. Insane. It's ridiculous. And we did this um, a load last season as well. Yeah, where I know. We, it's the same points. And because the thing is, it's so many variables because you've obviously got the West Ham score and yellow card and um, and so on is, is worth double. So you've got that at play. You've also got, you know, if I say... If I say, I don't know, a team's going to win 2-0 and you say a team's going to win 3-0, that makes a difference to the points as well, whoever's, whoever's yeah. most closest. You know, then you've got the yellow card and the first team to score, that makes a difference. So to be after, what is it, five games now, isn't it? Yeah, to be on the exact same points, it's ridiculous. It's madness. And on that note, it won't surprise anyone uh, for me to say that I'm going to agree. I'm going to go with a 3-0 win in the Europa League, and I'm going to call a, a one-all. Now, I, I can sometimes be a bit too pessimistic with West Ham away from home, and I think I've got to stop doing that. I've got to be, I really have got to give the lads a bit more credit than I do, to be honest. So I'm going to go for what I believe is an optimistic one-all as well with Liverpool, which would be a great result, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, definitely, definitely take that, you know, a point at Anfield is always a good point. Um, so yeah, you definitely take it. I mean, I, I, I think we could, we should be looking to go for the win, but ultimately, if it ends up as a point, then great. And then we've got what Sheffield, Sheffield United after that, where you would be looking to get the three points. I mean, I think the fixtures after that, you obviously got Lincoln in the cup as well, but I think in the league, you got Sheffield United, you got Newcastle, which bit hit and miss at the moment. Newcastle, I think Aston Villa away is a tough game um, but then after that you got Everton you got Brentford and you got um, Forest and Burnley um, and then Crystal Palace um, so there's a good run of teams that you know if we're going to do something this season then then they're the games that we need to get the three points so yeah it's going to be um, an interesting few few months definitely and I, I, I'm happy with how we started the season 
Of course, yeah. we lost at the weekend, but I'm sort of almost writing that off now. Um, mm. I think it's been a good start, and now we've got the difficult task, which we've had for three years now, of juggling Europe Europe with a, with a league um, campaign, plus the fact that the cup competitions are back now as well. So it's, it is tough, um, because everyone has the same amount of players in their squad, and we're seeing that to register them. Um, we, you can use academy players, but ultimately um, we don't have... Um, the, the teams that don't have Europe don't have the commitment to have to play as many games and obviously that is going to have an impact in terms of fatigue and injuries across the season. Well, you would think so because it's logical, isn't it? But interestingly, mm. I remember when Antonio was asked this question as a member of that squad and he said it doesn't impact it and it shouldn't impact it. And he said, you know, when we've done as well as we did in the Europa League, look at our league finish in the Premier League. And that's coming from a player. So I don't yeah. really know what to think, to be honest no. with you. But I mean, in terms of the likelihood of getting injuries, just by having the sheer calculation of more games equals more chance of injury, doesn't it? Yeah. Does it like, yeah. Because it's just logical. If you play, if you're sitting at home watching TV, although knowing us, if former players, it's probably just as dangerous. But if you're sitting at home watching TV, it's far less likely to get injured than you are playing a game of 90-minute football, aren't you? So... In terms of that, that's an obvious calculation that would mean that it's harder and it's all about the rotation. You know, yes, back in the day in you know, the 80s and maybe the 90s, you wouldn't rotate squads very often. And, you know, older older players will say, yeah, well, I played 50 games a season when I was when I was a player and I was never injured. But the the standards of levels of fitness and sport, uh, professional athleticism wasn't the same. You know, most of those players would admit that they went out on a Friday and got battered and then turned up over for the game on a Saturday. You know, the, and, and whilst they were still great players, it was probably, just as entertaining to watch that football then as than it is now you couldn't do that now because everyone else is such a professional athlete and so fine-tuned that if you did do that and it's the same with playing 50 games in the season as against someone that's only playing 25 it would make a difference now because of the level of professionalism and athleticism of the current players back in the day in the 80s they only had all, all clubs had small squads which they didn't rotate very often so everyone was on a level playing field but now it's not like that the professionalism is so intense that if you're not professional um, then then you get found out and it's the same as fatigue you know if you're playing that many more games I would say you're going to ultimately find it harder than a team that has um, played less so it's all about rotation and that's why Man City and teams that have such good squads can do it easily um, and that's why they do it you know Guardiola often changes his team you know, it's very hard particularly in defence to predict who's going to play for Manchester City um, and that's because he keeps everyone fresh so there's obviously a reason he does that yeah, I mean, you would like to think to slightly counter argument that, that uh, counter argue that because I do agree with a lot of what you're saying. But then, in terms of squad depth and availability, we're we're the most comfortable we've been in a long time. And I yeah. think that going into this campaign, whilst our squad quality isn't as good as Man City's, for example, it is still very good. And you'd well, like definitely. to think it's good enough to deal with. Yeah, that's why we've got to. That's yes. why that, that's the rotation, why, you're spot on, by the way. Yeah, and, that, okay. and that's why with this European fixture, whilst in, you know, maybe three years ago, when we first got into the Europa League, um, it would have been ridiculous to change all 11 players because you'd have been bringing in players that just weren't anywhere near the standards of the ones 
clubs you were taking out but when you look at the players that you're going to be bringing in you know there's been the whole debate already about who's better Fabianski or Areola so that's you know equal ability almost you've got German international at right back you've got your new signing Greek international at centre back alongside an Italian international who's been a great servant for the club as well as the left back who's been a great servant for the club and then you go into the midfield Ben Rama you start him he was runner up hammer of the year last year you start four nails who scored the winner in the semi-final and has been a great player for us over the years um, you, you start kudos I would say who's your you know your your, your star signing in the summer you, you play Danny Ings who's a proven Premier League player so these are a lot higher quality rotated players than they would have been three or four years ago mm. okay it's that time again calling all West Ham fans are you a patron of the West Ham way if not why not for the price of a point you get top quality content on a daily basis to include the famous West Ham way podcast with Dave and X over a hundred interviews with ex players and celebrity fans Mad Dog Bites with Martin Allen, a show with Tony Cotty, the U Irons podcast, the West Ham Way USA, a transfer window show with Demis Chef, an expert pre-match analysis. There are virtual events with ex-players, written articles, match day discussion, away day burger reviews, in-depth match reports, and... If you want to be the first to get reliable, accurate, exclusive news on all club affairs, you'll get exactly that from the best ITK in the business, ex-West Ham United employee. All that and more delivered to your phone for a fiver a month. It's the daddy. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.